from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Listen to God's word for us as it comes to us through the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. If you would like to follow along, it is on page 186 of the New Testament part of your pew Bible. Listen for the word of God. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second text for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, page 101, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible. These two texts along with the text that we will engage uh, the next five weeks, are part of a sermon series entitled Lead Like Jesus. It's a series that corresponds with our First in Focus Sunday School series by the same name as we continue to explore this conversation about servant leadership in the way of Jesus Christ, the conversation that we are hopeful the whole congregation will have in this six-week time period. These are texts that we have chosen for this series, both today and in the coming weeks. But from the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, verses 3 through 8, continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open this word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning even to be more like your Son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to begin this uh, series with a personal story. 
that illustrates what I think is both the timeliness and the urgency of this particular series in which we now embark, both in the sermon forms and in the first in focus form, this series entitled Lead Like Jesus. I'm part of a, a group of pastors called the Community of Pastors, which is made up of, of men and women. There's 25 of us in total who serve as heads of staff in medium and large-sized Presbyterian churches uh, throughout the country. And every six months, we get together. We're hosted by one of the members of the group, and we're hosted at the church, sort of home base for our time together. And our days, there's usually three nights and three days that we spend together every six months. We, we do some professional development. We, we share some best practices. We, we tour some sites, have excursions of, of some of the, the, the locations, both in ministry, but also for, for touring and sightseeing in the, in the context in which we are, are, are living for those couple of days. We, we share in fellowship. We share in worship. We share in festive meals. It's a wonderful time to be together with these friends and colleagues. We also make it a point every time we gather. Uh, it's almost the first thing that we do. We have an opening dinner Sunday night, but then on Monday morning we come together first for worship and then spend several hours checking in. This is a time where every pastor in the group gets a chance to share some of the highs and lows of ministry in their particular contexts. It's a time where we get to share the good stuff and the hard stuff. A time where we get to celebrate God's faithfulness in our context. It's also a time to lament some of the places where we don't see God working at all. And I have to say, just this past Monday as we came together for this particular part of our conversation, our time, it was very different than the previous times I have shared over the past six years with this particular cohort. A couple of our colleagues shared the untenable situations that they were in, eerily similar to one another, where a small group of members within the churches they serve have sort of risen up to get them out and have created such a toxic environment in the leadership life that it's become impossible for those pastors to stay in those contexts. Other colleagues reflected on how difficult it is to pastor in these days, these days of dissonance, socially, communally, nationally, these days of fragmentation, these politically intense times. How do we each and every week bring a word to the people of God living in this age. Some colleagues reflected on how challenging it is to actually carry the hope of the gospel in a clear and present way, in a routine way, to people who are on the precipice of losing hope, to people who are in so much pain and so much discord, so much heartache, so much uncertainty in the lives of these individuals, the ones we've been called to serve. There were a lot of tears shed, more than I can ever remember. There was anger and frustration communicated more than I could ever remember of ever experience in my time with this particular group. It was emotionally and spiritually gut-wrenching. It was hard. 
We went about the business of the day, and the next morning we were sort of still feeling the, the emotional and spiritual hangover of that time, and we were set for one of our tours. We were to tour the Naval Academy. We were in Annapolis, Maryland, and when you're in Annapolis, you need to put this down as one of the things you go and see, a national treasure of ours. And we had this wonderful tour of, of the magnificent chapel. It seats 2,500 people, and it possesses one of the, the finest and most dynamic organs I have ever heard. We were having a hymn sing with the organist of the Navy Chapel. Our, our group was coming together for worship, singing hymns, sitting in, in the place, uh, in the chancel where the choir sat, and singing hymn after hymn. I pulled out my phone. I texted Jens. I said, you got to play this organ. He said, I'm on the list. I have to tell you that, that, that hymn sing, that, that worship was incredibly therapeutic. I don't know about you, but when I come to dark places or when I'm in a season where I don't hear God's voice clearly, when I'm spiritually, emotionally, psychologically struggling, worship is one of those places where, where I can connect again, where I can remember what life is all about, and who holds my life? And who holds our life? And as I was sitting there, as we were singing these hymns in this beautiful sacred space, I had a profound spiritual experience. From where I was sitting, I had a full view of a stained glass window that depicted a, a fresh graduate of the academy, now a, an officer upon his graduation. He was dressed in his white uniform, holding his hat in one hand, and in the other hand he had his marching orders. He had his assignment. He had his commission for his call of duty. Now part of the meaning of this moment uh, came about because of my own personal connection to the Navy. Uh, my father was never a student of the Naval Academy. He did, however, enlist in the Navy when he was 17 years old. He was looking for purpose in his life. Even more than that, I think he was, he was trying to escape the tyranny of poverty growing up in inner city Philadelphia. He was also trying to escape the tyranny of an abusive and alcoholic father. And so he left home and he enlisted in the Navy. He served on the USS Enterprise he was part of the blockade during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I keep a 1961 black and white photograph of him by my bed that has him dressed in his uniform. And so when I was looking at this stained glass window, the connection for me was obvious. My father died. I've shared before with this congregation of mesothelioma. It was caused by asbestos 30 years after that picture was taken. He was 46, I was 16. And as I looked at this stained glass window and I was looking at the demeanor of this officer and, and thinking about my, my father, I, I started to pray, not out loud, but in that still small internal prayer voice, I started to pray this prayer. Who is going to lead us in these days? Who is going to lead us in the ways of the divine life? Who is going to lead us in these days of suspicion and vitriol? Who is going to end enmity and strife? Who is going to lead us that, in ways that cause all of humanity to flourish? 
Who will lead us? Was the prayer I kept praying over and over again. And then someone, one of my colleagues, raised their hand as they were as the organist was taking hymn requests and said, We can't leave the academy without singing Eternal Father Strong to Save. For those of you who know that hymn, you know it to be the Navy hymn. And as we sung it, I just wept. I wept. For I felt in the most acute way something I hadn't felt in a long time. I was longing to hear my father's voice, longing to be under his guidance, longing to sip from the fountain of wisdom that he possessed, longing for his leadership. It all converged in that moment of this deep longing for a voice to be heard. Then all of a sudden, I noticed something in the window that I had not previously seen. In the right-hand corner of this stained glass window is Jesus riding on the clouds. And his hand is outstretched, hovering above this officer. Almost as if it was saying, I have a bigger commission for you. I have something that transcends the commission that you hold in your hands. Something that is even more important than this. For I am sending you to be my disciple in the world. And in that instant, I realized, in that moment, I came to the conclusion that I just might be the leader that I've been praying for. that I just might be the leader that I'm longing for. And then, in this spiritual ecstasy, I thought about you. I thought about this congregation. I thought about our pastors. I thought about our staff. I thought about our session. I thought about members and friends alike. And I thought about the pain and the anxiety and the fear that so many of us carry. And I became convinced that we are the leaders we've been longing for. So often when we have conversations about leadership, we think of it in terms of someone out there saving the day. Someone that, that we need to go find. Someone that we need to vote for. Someone that we need to, to bring into our midst to consult with us, to save the day. But perhaps what the Spirit is telling us as we embark on this series is that we are the leaders. This church needs and the world needs. It's us. Now, our leadership, friends, let us be very clear, is not rooted in a quest for power or privilege. It is not rooted in the means or the ends of the principalities and powers of this world. It's not a leadership that exclusively serves itself or its own interests or its own affinity group. It's a leadership that serves God by serving all. It's a leadership. We're talking about a leadership that's modeled after Jesus himself who picked up a towel who got down on his hands and knees and served his friends. A leadership that claims whatever power, whatever influence God has sought fit to give us to lead like Jesus, to claim that power, to lead like him, which is another way of saying to be a servant leader. That's what we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. 
leading in the way of Jesus, to have a congregation-wide conversation about leadership, about Jesus being the model and the exemplar of our leadership life. This is born not haphazardly. This was born out of our long-range strategic plan that we adopted in session not too long ago. That one of the, the, the fruits of this plan was, was that we would seek to equip one another, members and friends alike, with the skills and the competencies to lead like Jesus. To have a serious conversation about leadership in this time and in this place. Leadership not just for the church, but leadership for our city, our nation, and for the world. And here is one of the underlying convictions of this series. All of us are called, all of us are sent, all of us are commissioned to lead like Jesus. This is not optional for the Christian. This is seeing ourselves in that stained glass window. And with whatever commission we, we hold in our hands, whatever we think our purpose is, Jesus enters in and hovers over us and says, I have something even greater than this. That in all of your relationships, that in every sphere that you find yourself in, that you are called to lead like me. That we don't have to wait for someone else to do it that we ourselves have been commissioned to be servant leaders. Just more of a technical word here. This phrase, servant leader, is, is not something original, obviously, to this church, or maybe it's not obvious to you, but for many of you, you've heard this phrase before, servant leader. Robert Greenleaf has largely been credited with coining this phrase. The, Robert, the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership is here in Atlanta. We've consulted with them as we've started to build this curriculum over the next several weeks. Greenleaf was a successful, um, a successful business person with AT&T. Spent the second half of his life, though, the second half of his career consulting and writing and speaking about the competencies of servant leadership. He believed that no matter the context, whether it was for-profit or not-for-profit, whether it was educational, institutional, academic, governmental, any, uh, any sort of community life, any aspect of community life, any context, he believed that the leader that someone wants to follow, that people truly want to follow, is the servant leader. We may get enthralled by the glitz and glamour of someone who has power, who someone has authority, who some, someone who runs over people to get things done. But Greenleaf says deep down inside of us, we long for that servant leader. And when Christians back in the 70s started to get their hands on this content, on this material, they started to say to one another, hey, we've heard this before. They started to, to look at all the competencies that Greenleaf talked about and said that the servant leader ought to possess, these skills that the servant leader brings and renders into the world. And these Christians started to say, we've, we've seen these competencies in action before. These are not unfamiliar to us. For, for this is the very quality and character of Jesus himself. That Jesus is the example, capital T-H-E, the example of servant leadership. No one has been a servant leader more faithfully than Jesus. And he is our model. He's our exemplar. He's the goal and the standard that we must meet with bold humility. I think Philippians 2, 5 through 11, the text that Lee read for us, it's actually a text that many believe was the first, one of the first hymns of the church. 
singing it together collectively in worship. I believe that this text accurately depicts the servant leadership of Jesus better than any other text we have in Scripture. For it dives deep in a, in a profound but also simple way into what Jesus came to do, why he lived and why he died. In that first line, Paul says this to the church in Philippi, think the way Jesus thinks. I'm paraphrasing. Have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus. You know, when, if I ask somebody, what does it mean to be a Christian? Somebody may point to, to affirming some sort of theological belief, some sort of theological confession or some confessional statement. Or, or they may point to, to piety. You know, Christians do this, believe that, hate this, love that. When at the end of the day, what it really means to be a Christian, Paul says it quite clearly, what it means to be a Christian is to think and act and live like Jesus. And Lord knows we need a Christianity like that in the world. Where it's not about what you hate and what you love, what's included and what's excluded, what is confessionally appropriate and what's not. It's about living like Jesus. Actually embodying his life. That's, I think, what the term Christian really means. To be Christian means to be like Christ. So think of yourselves, says Paul, the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. And to really get at the notion of how Christ thought of himself, I think we have to say something about power. Anytime you have a question about leadership, I do think you have to talk about power. And if you go back to John 13, 3, and I'll close with this idea. John 13, 3 reads, knowing that the Father had given all things into Jesus' hands. Okay? So he knows he has everything. Everything he needs, everything he could possibly want. Right? Everything. He, in essence, is power. He is powerful. He has everything. Everything. And yet, what does he do with his power? What does he do with it? The text says he humbles himself. He empties himself so he can be filled with God's will. And he stewards his privilege. He stewards his power for the sake of love. That's what he does. He incarnates love for those closest to him. It's a love that he has for you. It's a love that he has for me. And he demonstrates it and manifests it in and for the world. Now here is, here's the thing. We all have power. We do. Now, let's not be naive. Some people have more power than others based on their circumstances, based on what they've accumulated, based on their gender, based on their skin color. Some people have more power than others. It is a truth that we are unsatisfied with as Christians. But what I want to say right now is that all of us at some level have power because God has given us power. And the question is this, if we are going to think like Christ thought, we have to think about our power. You have to think about your influence. When we're having a leadership conversation about leading like Jesus, you have to think about your power and how you're going to exercise that in and for the world because you have it. At some level, you've got it. Some of us, you have it a lot more than others. How are you going to leverage and exercise and deploy that power? Because we know what Jesus did. We know how he did it, right? We know how he did it. He washed his disciples' feet. He, he made the blind see. He made the lame walk. He comforted the afflicted and afflicted the comfortable. 
He welcomed the outcast. He accepted the unacceptable. He died for everyone. All of us have power. What are we going to do with it? Will we use it for our own advancement? Will we use it to further our own privilege? Will we use it to, to satisfy our own craving for more? Or satisfied our deep, deep need for security and safety, keeping others out and not including them? Or will we become the people the world and ourselves have been longing for? People who actually lead like Jesus. I know what gets the world all worked up. So do you. The kind of leaders we get enthralled with. But that's not the Christian way. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way Christ thought of himself so I want you to think about this stained glass window. I want you to think about Jesus' commission to each and every one of us. A commission of great purpose to humbly follow him. That's what we're up to here at First Presbyterian Church. That's who we're called to be. And the question is, will we embrace this calling? Will we embrace this commission? Will we use our power and our privilege to lead like Jesus? Because we got it. Will we lead like him? In the words of that great hymn that we'll sing in just a few moments, borrowed from the prophet Isaiah, the question before us that God asks the prophet, that God, I think, continually asks us time and time again, whom will I send? Let's stop waiting for somebody else and let us respond with one voice, unified. Lord, here I am. Send me to lead like Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may be so. Amen.